You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Hi, let me see your ticket stubs for the double-edged double bill. Tonight we do the math on how the equation of Disney plus Rocketeer equals Country Bears Werps. Each week, Adam Thomas and Thomas Mariani come to the table to discuss the randomly selected yin and yang of a double feature. Then, both have to pick a number between 1 and 10 in order to seal their fates for the next episode. One will have two good movies, the other two bad ones. Let the chaos begin. And I am Adam Thomas, and I am definitely not uh, a... You know what? I lost what I was going to say, so let's just go with that. I am definitely not Adam Thomas. And I am Thomas Mariani, and all those who come to this happy place, welcome. It's not actually very happy. We're, we're both very angry with each other. We hate yeah, doing I am, this. Yeah. Oh, God, it's the worst. <laughs> it's so oh, fucking fuck. terrible. Yeah. I'm like a glutton for punishment. Yeah. And here with us, um, just coming on his rocket pack, which I don't know if he knows how to control, it is Jonathan Habden. Kiel. Jonathan, how's it going? All right. It's been a while, but I'm here to talk about the Rocket Man and uh, Lawrence Scorsese, right? <laughs> yes. The Elton John biopic is what we're doing today. We are talking about Elton John, technically. He is in one of our features. Yeah, which is odd that he only does a cameo in his own biopic, and it's a very <laughs> odd choice. It's really weird. It's just like he meets Taron Edgerton, just like, hey, yeah. go sing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but welcome uh, to the Double Edge Double Bill, um, in case you're new. Basically, every week uh, we do a random picking at the end of our episodes, and we uh, cover a good and a bad feature for the following episode. And uh, this week... In honor of, you know, it's been about a month since uh, Disney Plus jumped onto our computer screens uh, and just crashed the world with Baby Yodas and such. Uh, We're going to do our first uh, episode about a streaming service. We've done Disney before as a topic in trivia. Our 13th episode, Adam. This is our 84th episode. (laughs) We've done like 70 episodes since we did that. (laughs) Wait, what? I know. (laughs) Oh my god. Time is an ever-flowing stream. Time's not real, man. <laughs> also interesting to point out, along with Disney+, Plus, so much has happened with Disney since we did that episode, right? Because they bought Fox, and we got, like, Avengers Endgame became the highest-grossing movie of all time. And uh, just a lot has been going on, including the new streaming service. Have you been enjoying the streaming service? You know, like I think I said last episode, I really like it, especially for, you know, the kid, uh... I can show her all my favorites. Like I had her watch the Disney Robin Hood and stuff like that, and she loved it. So it's been kind of fun being able to relive my childhood vicariously like, through my own child via Disney Plus, which I could have done if just rented the movies or bought them. But yeah, I'm cheap. Well, now instead of having to like spend every time, you can just spend six ninety nine a month and mm-hmm. just fucking show whatever. Uh, have you? Did you expose her to either of the two features of tonight? No. <laughs> I tried to watch The Rocketeer with her a couple nights ago because she, she likes watching the superhero movies with me, as she calls them. Nah, five minutes in, she's like, I'm good. I just got walked and played. And then I wasn't going to subject her to Country Bears because I didn't feel like having to deal with nightmares for a week. 
<laughs> we'll talk about the, the lovely animatronic bears in a bit. But Ayanthi, you weren't on that previous Disney episode. What are your thoughts on Disney in general and uh, the new streaming service? Well, I can first say that Disney's awesome, so please don't kill me for any criticism I have. But in all seriousness, I feel that Disney Plus has been a great boon since we constantly heard in our lifetimes that we have like films that are stuck in the vault. And now we have access to most of that vault. Unfortunately, Song of the South is not there. Watch I the know. Come on, Song of the South. What a classic. Honestly, we have Splash Mountain. You might as well try to give the context of where we got the idea of Splash Mountain from. I, mean, I still think, like, because I like how they've been implemented, like, extras and stuff in all these different Disney things. Like, they actually have, like, commentaries and shit for certain things. Why not just get, like, how Leonard Moulton used to do those Disney, like, short introductions? Have him do that for this and have some, like, black critics on and just have them, like, actually just talk about the cultural context of that movie. I agree. Yeah, it's not that hard. And Disney would have the actual gravitas that would also match what uh, the Warner Brothers or all of those uh, Nazi cartoons they did way back when. And Disney even did some of those to oh. certain cartoons. Oh, yeah, 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 that too. <laughs> Plus, I mean, on their part, it would show really strong self-awareness and also a really smart way to do sort of damage control. But yeah, we did some fucked up shit, but here we are now. Look at this. Look. And they even have that for like Dumbo and some of those other controversial ones that just says mm. it might include outdated cultural depictions but uh we're talking about two films that don't have any connotations at all <laughs> today hopefully for the love of god not much your hillbilly with a snoop full of honeybees or whatever the fuck jesus <laughs> yes so um our our good pick um is the rocketeer which adam picked uh, at the end of our last episode and uh my bad pick from the end of the last episode was the country bears movie but first let's start with our good film the rocketeer to some, it was the fulfillment of a dream. To others, it was an instrument of destruction. Tell me exactly why this merchandise so important to the feds. It's a rocket. How do I look? Like a hood ornament. Hand over the rocket. The Rocketeer. Go get him, kid. So, The Rocketeer came out uh, June 21st, 1991, uh, was directed by Joe Johnston, and uh, was written by Danny Bilson and Paul DeMeo, based on the comic book by Dave Stevens, who was apparently quite involved in the production, which I was interested, because when I heard about The Rocketeer, I thought, like, oh, this is based on an old-timey comic, probably from around the time of Superman. The comic came out in 1982. This, it wasn't even a decade old when this movie came out, <laughs> which kind of blew my mind, because it feels so indicative of, like, that late 30s sort of pulpy era. But it wasn't a very popular comic book either when it came out. To the point to where when this was released, because I know I saw this at the theater, I didn't know it was based on a comic book, and I grew up loving comic books, and I had no idea The Rocketeer was based on a comic. I thought it was an original property. I don't want to say a babby, but I was definitely in like first grade, and I just thought it was just a Disney movie. I remember like having merch, like at least a t-shirt, but the ironic part is I didn't see it in theaters. I like only seen like parts of this movie throughout my life on TV, and it really didn't help that Disney Channel was a premium channel until turn of the 21st century. So, the Rocketeer kind of just disappeared. Well, yeah, and this is part of that weird thing post both the uh, 1989 Batman and the three Indiana Jones movies, the original ones, where um, Hollywood's thought about like the success of those movies was okay. 
How about instead of adapting movies based on comic book heroes like Batman, let's make them based on pulpy heroes from like the late 30s. Disney also did Dick Tracy the year before this. And also like The Shadow and The Phantom and a bunch of movies that, shocker, weren't very successful because no one gave a shit about those characters. Bunch of classics. I know you you Dick Tracy did actually was was kind of a big deal when it came out. It was heavily promoted, yeah. But it was a flop, right? I think it was one of those where, like, it broke even fine, but it was, like, such a big production that it was still kind of, like, a bit of a mess for Disney. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that's kind of the reason The Rocketeer also kind of got swept under the rug a bit. Uh, But I would argue it's the best of that weird trend that happened. It's, like, the really good one. No, yeah. Out of those ones you mentioned, the, you know, the pulpy sort of, like, Dick Tracy spirit noir sort of comics or whatever you want to call them, this is the only one that's even worth a damn I mean, Dick Tracy is fun because of the makeup and, you know, some of the actors in it where it's, like, funny to see them, you know, hamming it up. And, and I would argue it's an achievement of, like, just production design as well. Yeah, the, yeah, I agree with you. It, it looks really good. The makeup's great. But it's it's a terrible film. It, it's it, it doesn't help that you make the villain Madonna. Sorry to spoil a 30-year-old oh, movie. That's all right. The action figure did that, so don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> Dick, I remember Dick Tracy having a middle, just complete boring stretch of nonsense because it was like the mystery about the villain. And then I think, was there like a Madonna music video or did I just imagine that one? There, there were like four Madonna music videos in that movie. <laughs> they just okay, stopped right. to have Madonna sing Stephen Sondheim songs. Uh, but Adam, The Rocketeer was your pick. So uh, I'm yeah. guessing you had a lot of affection for this one when it came out. You were one of the few that saw it in the theater as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. But the first thing that grabbed me was the helmet. It reminded me of those old sort of, <sighs> what do you want to call it? Like almost like Metropolis looking design that almost steampunk. Art Deco. Oh man, look at you giving me words. Very Art, <laughs> very art, very art Deco looking. Uh, I loved the jetpack. I loved Timothy Dalton. Uh, I just, I really, really loved this movie to the point where, you know, like I would play the Rocketeer and I, the, I bought the action figures, which were terrible action figures, by the way. They had like zero articulation. Wished I could have got a helmet, you know, things like that. Um, it, it just gave me a sense of almost like wonderment as a kid. It's this sort of alternate World War II America you know, Howard Hughes is in it, yet there's Timothy Dalton, who's basically Errol Flynn, but he's a Nazi spy. And, you know, there's a guy in a jet pack flying around saving people and kicking ass. And basically a Dick Tracy villain in it as well. It, it just, it really had this sort of sense of wonder to it. And uh, that's that was the main reason why I picked it. I, I remember as a kid really being kind of blown away and uh, getting lost in it. Do you still think it holds up in a similar fashion now? I, I absolutely do, and I'd argue it already has a sequel in spirit with Captain America, the first Avenger. Directed by Joe Johnston as well. Directed by Joe Johnston. Yeah, it completely feels like a spiritual sequel to it. It's, it's exactly how I remember it. It's still fun. It's still whimsical. It's still got good action. It's still well acted. It, it's just still a fun movie. Well, uh, Jonathan, you were kind of mentioning that you'd seen bits and pieces of it over the course of your life, but so does this mean this is the first time you've ever seen it in full? Yeah, from beginning to end. And like Adam said, this is definitely a great accompaniment to Captain America, the first Avenger. And having it taken place in Los Angeles, you could think that it could be happening, uh, it can coincide around the same time, because I think the first Avenger starts like 
in like 1940 or maybe it was 1939 like and it's all in new york this could just be in its own little pocket of of, of another nazi uh story and honestly i kind of think this was also not just inspiration for captain america but also into agent carter especially season two where peggy carter is in los angeles dealing with with spies and such in hollywood i probably would have loved it if i saw it beginning to end as a kid because there is a genuine love for the world with the style of of the dialogue like in most like mob uh parodies you have a lot of guys go like man she they're actually using real uh slang that act that people would say in the 1930s and it just feels real and it is all about it just feels genuine and, and lived in and loved. And I, I feel like I've seen the screen with with uh, Billy Campbell and also with Jennifer Connelly, which the uh, cinematographer was perving on her a bit much, if I had to say at least, because it's like a way too many close-ups on her chest. Yeah, there's literally one point where like it has POV came of W.C. Fields during that weird scene at the restaurant. It's just like, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a bit pre-Me Too-y. <laughs> Yeah. But for me, I was in a similar case to Jonathan for most of my life, where I'd heard this, especially from, like, people slightly older than me, were just like, oh man, it's a really underrated movie, not enough people have seen it. And I just never watched it until it was a rainy 4th of July, I believe, about, like, four or so years ago. And I was like, I haven't seen The Rocketeer, it seems all Americana-y, and one, this is a great 4th of July movie, actually. If, like, you're right before fireworks, but after you've had the cookout, this is a really fun one to just throw on. Um, and, yeah, I really dig this movie quite a bit, um, and this is the second time I've seen it, and upon seeing it, I would say it is 90% a perfect movie, but I have one issue with it that's not a huge one, I don't think it's a thing that, like, really wrecks the movie necessarily, uh, but I do think Billy Campbell is kind of very plain in the role. I think he's vanilla. He's very vanilla, he's very serviceable, and doing mm-hmm. research for this, I would say the secondary pick, the one who almost got it apparently, who I would have been like, I actually would have preferred slightly, Bill Paxton, would have made the movie perfect. Like, he would have been the absolute perfect choice, I would argue. Yeah, that would have been really It depends fun. on how far, how far he goes in his Bill Paxton-ness. Like, if he's, like, aliens... <laughs> well, I don't want him to crash and say, game over, man, game over, we can't get the thing back up, I don't want that necessarily. I'm I'm thinking more like Twister era, Bill Paxton, yeah, in terms of, like, where he would fit, like, this sort of blue-collar-y atmosphere as well, I think, especially just, like, a guy who's a stunt pilot, but wants to have a bit more to his life, I could see him doing that a bit better, versus Billy Campbell looks like he just walked out of, like, the same Hollywood party as, like, Jennifer Connelly <laughs> and Timothy Dalton more than, like, oh, yeah, I, I'm a stunt pilot, I, I do this all the time. Okay. But he's not bad at all. I just think he's a bit more milk toast. I would say he actually fit the pilot motif way better than when he was trying to be in disguise and, like, yeah, like at the club, because he has the physique to actually be, like, a, a stunt pilot. It's just that he... He seems awkward in any situation when he's not near a plane or covered in dust. Even when he's flying with the jetpack, you could, he's not perfect. He's just flying around, bouncing off of things. Like it, He has at least some sort of level of charisma, but he's not as great as... like Even some of the other choices, like Kevin Costner and Matthew Modine, like they would have brought something more for the case of... Especially how 90s movies are with their main characters, where they're kind of more audience surrogates we have like a great supporting cast like we didn't even talk about alan arkin 
he was memorable. Like I still can think of PV just being nuts, like trying to put on the chewing gum on the jetpack. Like it just personality is there. Wow. It's okay if Billy isn't as great. I, I do agree that the supporting cast is so much of the great lifting um, with Alan Arkin in particular. I just love how very matter of fact he is, especially any of the scenes where it's him and Terry O'Quinn as Howard Hughes are so fun. <laughs> We're just like, oh, a rudder, that's perfect on the helmet. It's just basic aerodynamics. <laughs> He's just which, so which, matter of fact dependent. Poor Terry Quinn. No matter no matter what that guy does, I never can't see him as a villain. Like I'm always thinking he's a bad guy. Even in this, you're like, we're going to make Howard Hughes evil. Like, which, you know, maybe he was. To go, get back to Billy Campbell, I, I completely agree. I, I, I think he's very kind of ho-hum. It's just there's not enough excitement and wonder behind his performance, I don't think. He, doesn't, he never feels like, A, like you said, a stunt pilot who lives his life on, his ed, on the edge. Or B, a guy who's like fucking really excited about that. He just found a goddamn jetpack. Feels like, oh, sweet, we can make money with this. Like, even if they made this in the mid to late 90s, I could totally see, like, a Brandon Frazier playing that part and really nailing it. Mm-hmm. No, I, I definitely agree. I feel like he's the weakest link. Uh, and, that, and not to the point to where it makes it an unwatchable movie, but still, it's kind of like, eh, okay. I, you prefer him when he's in the mask flying around. Let's put it that way. He fills out the suit pretty well. But you do agree about the supporting cast, though, right? All around. Alan Arkin, Dalton, Paul Trevino, Connolly. It's pretty hell of a cast. I can't emphasize enough how much I love the whole mob subplot in this movie. Where it's like Jonathan mentioned, they aren't totally Edward G. Robinson it up. I, I love, like, just Paul Trevino in that old suit. And then as, like, they actually have the the amazing moment during, like, the sort of climax of this movie. Where he just goes up to Timothy Dalton and finds out he's a Nazi. Like, I might not make an honest book. But I'm all American, and with the FBI shooting Nazis, that's amazing. There's no other movie that does that. It's so fucking great. That's also pretty rare in the late 1930s for someone to be strongly anti-Nazi in the Americas when we were purely in isolationism. But I think they even comment on that, too. One of many great examples of this movie doing a bit of set-up payoff, where they have Jennifer Connelly and Billy Campbell go to the movie theater, and they have like, oh, it's Hitler strolling around with his goodwill tour all across America, where that was actually a thing, that they would fly around Zeppelins and shit. And at that point, America, like you mentioned, was not really involved in the war, so they didn't give that much of a shit. Even though Billy Campbell, he knew his stuff. He knew that that was, like, yeah, more like a piece of the world tour. It's like, sick. Sick burn, Billy. I can't emphasize enough how, like, this screenplay is so perfectly economic in terms of doing setups and payoffs in a way that kind of reminds me of, to mention another sort of period piece movie from around this time, uh, like a Who Framed Roger Rabbit in terms of, like, how much of, like, the great set payoff and then the production design as well. I almost wanted to see just Billy Campbell fucking fly over Toontown because it's pretty much the same goddamn setup. Man, that would that would be something. What if there was, like, a cartoon playing? Like, actually... Why not? Just go full cartoon. Yeah, the only animation we get in the movie is the really fucked up Fleischer Brothers stuff that shows, like, the Nazis invading with jetpacks and shit. Which is just love that, like, the Nazis created that fucking thing. Like, it's just like, hmm, we, yeah. we need to show everybody exactly how this works. Let's commission an animation company to make this and probably murder all the animators right afterward. Oh, of course. Well, yeah, they're Nazis. Uh, no, to, to go back to what you said about Who Framed Roger Rabbit, I could see it perfectly fit in with a scene where Eddie and Bugs and Mickey are all falling. And he's like, you had said you had a spare. I'm not sure you want it. And you see the rocketeer just fly, fly in the, the background. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> perfect. But, you know, to, to go back to, like, some of the other people, like, you mentioned Dalton 
And obviously, this is an interesting point for Dalton's career, because this is post, like, his James Bond career kind of fizzling out. Um, and he is such a perfect guy to fit in for, like, the Errol Flynn-esque type. And, like, early on, he just sells it so hard with, like, being villainous, but very dastardly, but very charming all at the same time. I just, I, I really dig that, especially the bit where him and Jennifer Connelly are in his house, and he's talking about just, like, saying all the lines from the various things that he, from his previous movies, and she mentions every single one, she's like a human IMDb, and he just has that look on his face, he's just like, yes... That's where that's from. <laughs> like, he's so pissed oh. off that she knows oh. all of his fucking tricks. No, I think he's perfect. I, I, I think, honestly, for me, he, he sort of steals the film. Uh, he did when I was a kid, too. I was just so, like, charmed by him. And probably as, like, I was like, oh, well, what are these feelings? <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> Especially that one moment where she's just, where he's just like, come dance with me. I don't hear music. I hear music. It's like, oh, serenade no. me, Timothy. Oh, boy. Oh, he's uh, he's fantastic in this movie, man. Like you said, he perfectly fits as that classic movie star and disarming when it comes to anybody who is like even the point where it's like, oh, it's uh, I forget his character name, but they name him by character like, oh, come on. He's one of the greatest movie stars. And I love it. He's like, who are they going to believe? Some criminal thug or the third highest rated actor in the U.S.? Like he's only third. <laughs> he's still celebrating. Oh, great. Come on. Number three is still really good. And, and plus, I just love how much of an ego he has, even on that set, where like he's just doing his Errol Flynn dastardly do, and then that one um, ditzy lady comes up and just says her line terribly, and the music cuts out, and he's like, ugh. Um. <laughs> he literally stabs a guy. He's like, he, oh, uh, uh, you couldn't just have me steal the show, could you? And then you're like, yeah, he probably did that on purpose. Also, shout out to that director with one of the best lines in the movie, which is like, uh, acting is like what you're acting, but you can't make people think that you're actually acting. Oh, it is perfect. Like, I think it really works because he, with the charisma, because he was a, a former Bond, and he probably is people's probably number three Bond. Like, you got Sean Connery and then Lazenby. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're wrong. Lazenby's number one, y'all. Don't forget about Woody Allen, uh, the original uh, Casino Royale. Uh, of, yeah, yes, the best Casino Royale. You're right, the, the good one. Right. <laughs> yeah, right, the good one. You have to think like that has to be part of the, of the reason why they actually got an actor like him because James Bond just goes through women like 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 cigarettes in in in, in those movies. It not Dalton's Bond did it, but anyways, okay. go ahead. It's it's been a minute, so. Fair on that. He was more of a precursor to, like, the Craig Bond in terms of he was a lot more sort of, like, uh, unhinged and a bit more angry. He had, like, one love interest per movie, but it wasn't... He, he was much more determined on his missions. Right. All right. Thank you for schooling me on that, because it literally has been, like, years since I've seen it. Since uh, well, you're welcome, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Do your fucking homework next time, Chief. Uh, well, actually, let me tell you about the entire history of the Bond franchise. Um, hold on. Oh, well, did you know the second movie starts with the death of his wife? So he was monogamous. Well, thank you. As long as you're not trying to say that 007 can't be a black woman, I'm okay. Well, I have a lot of thoughts on that matter. No. No, I don't. Hold on. And while we're at it, let's get on the female Ghostbusters. Because that all... <laughs> you were saying something... <laughs> Yeah, I, I lost it. Something about Bond and, well, and female empowerment, Timothy Dalton's charisma. 
<laughs> well, I, I'll also say, you know, Jennifer Connelly, despite playing and being like a love interest who is ogled a lot, is a lot so impressive here because this is also very early in her career. This is not too long after Labyrinth. She's only like 20 years old in this movie, but she is already got such a perfect handle on playing this particular type of character and even getting a few bits in on the action sequences, like including hitting um, the guy who looks like Rondo Hatton on the head, which credit to Rick Baker's fucking makeup on that mask. Like that mask is such a perfect recreation of, if you don't know, Rondo Hatton was like a character actor in the thirties and forties who literally had that same face as like the main henchman that's around in this movie. Like it's fucking identical. <laughs> and I, I, I think she gets a lot of good licks in overall though, with a bunch of the other people as well. And she has a lot more, I think of an engaging character presence in general than Billy Campbell does where she's carrying a lot of the scenes particularly like one of the funnier bits in the movie where he does the whole thing about like well I, I, I got your in for a shock here I'm the rocketeer and she's like who? what the fuck are you talking about? I just I love that bit it was that morning like usually in a movie it's like a week of of exploits of the hero and then he reveals to his love interest that he's the hero if she didn't read the newspaper or listen to radio cuz she's busy working like a you know like a person doing a day-to-day job like of course she doesn't know about a guy with a rocket pack flying around yeah there was no twitter around at that time for her to immediately find that out even then to still find out tomorrow like there's a lot of stuff we do that just happens that people just don't know about. That, that's true. That's true. But you know what? There's also a lot of really fun people that pop in this movie that I forgot about. Like a John Polito, perfectly cast as a sleazy dude who runs that fucking air show. Perfect. I fucking Bobby. love that guy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Clint Howard showing up as one of the henchmen. Margot Martindale is the woman that runs that fucking diner with the dog in front. Um, Ed Lauder, who I love immediately fits perfectly as like that FBI agent, which is like, can you believe he socked me in the face? Well, maybe you deserved it. Like, a great back and forth there. Also, I completely forgot, um, what's her, fucking Jan from The Office shows up and sings songs. I completely forgot she was in this movie. That's who it was! I I could not remember who it was. It was like, wow! And now I'm reminded of all of her crazy uh, acoustic songs on The Office. Yeah, that's her actually singing in the in the movie, and she's quite good at it. Wow, oh, that blew my mind. It is beautiful. It is definitely beautiful. There are so few actors and actresses that can actually put on that type of attire being in that style of the golden age of hollywood and pull it off without looking like like cosplay i love the feel like it's definitely something that i feel like people we, we should be actually advertising more about like the rocketeer like I, I i see that they're like in the notes that there is a disney junior show about great granddaughter like I wish we could have like a Disney Plus original, like an animated series with the Rocketeer going off, fighting the mob, fighting Nazis. Like it feels like there's something that that's been untapped, and I hope that it can actually get back to it. Like Billy Campbell is around for the Disney Junior show; he'll do it. I mean, I don't know if Billy Campbell will do it. it depends on how he get his shift off at the car wash. Um, it's... <laughs> it, Adam. No, I, I definitely agree. I think out of all the cast members in the movie, the most legit who looks like they're from there this period is fucking Jennifer Connelly. Uh, I just did a you know an episode on previous guest show about talking about Dark City, and the same thing. She looks like she's born from this era, and she looks fantastic in the attire and the the manner of speaking. And the being or the more prim and proper reserved, she she just fits the bill very, very well. And so does Dalton. My one main, main problem with this movie, other than Billy Campbell, is that is there not enough of him in the suit with the helmet? I th- I, I could use a little more. Well, it's not like he's flying with 
the helmet off. But I do agree there could there could have been a second act sequence. Though, like, I think he wouldn't want everyone to know who he is. But I guess at this point, everybody who he's going against knows who he is anyway. So yeah, the FBI found out pretty quickly. The mob. Timothy Dalton. He's He's absolutely awful at it. There were enough leads to consider. And you're not going to consider the guy who was dressed up as a clown because he was flying the plane and Ellen Arkin's too old. Who else could be, who may be involved with that airfield? Clearly John Polito. You're right, Jonathan. That's who it's got to be. Good job, Jonathan. (laughs) I should be the director of the FBI. (laughs) Take him away, boys. I'll say that in terms of like him wearing the helmet, I mean, I kind of agree necessarily, but I, I kind of like the fact that even when he is in the helmet, there is also a bit of, like, we mentioned that he's kind of, like, not the most appropriate person to necessarily wear it. I kind of like the fact that the character himself is kind of klutzy in an interesting way. Like, I love the bit when he is in full Rocketeer garb in the nightclub, and he can't fucking control it, so he's, like, burning the fucking curtains and shit, and everyone's like, look at the flying man! Meanwhile, he's like, oh god... Oh god, just fuck, I can't fucking control this. He's got his hands up in the air and shit. I, I, I really dig the fact that, like, even though the suit and so is so impressive, the charm is more the fact that he is kind of just, like, bumbling his way and barely able to get through everything. I kind of dig that. And I, I also found the set that uh, Joe Johnston, before he did actually direct anything, he worked a lot at, like, ILM, designed a lot of, like, the ships and stuff for Star Wars. And interestingly, after this, he did the initial designs for... The Iron Giant, and you really see it in terms of, like, the outfit and everything. <laughs> like, the helmet and the Iron Giant, you really see the connection. Absolutely. Yeah, and I would definitely recommend, if you like this movie, to definitely seek out October Sky, which has a similar sort of Americana feel from him. It's something we criminally haven't mentioned. I- I've said him- his name before, he's one of my favorite composers out there. Fucking James Horner's score in this movie is genuinely, like, magical. I definitely, definitely agree. Like, it feels like... Someone took a slice of the 1930s, colorized it, and added better special effects. Like, it all works together because of the music, because of the actors, because of the production. Like, it's just Barnum almost perfect. Well, I think it's time we uh, got into our final thoughts then, because uh, we do have another film to talk about extensively. Oh, fucking hell. <laughs> uh, so, Jonathan, while you got the floor a bit more, uh, your final thoughts on The Rocketeer. Uh, as a first time watching it end to end, I think that The Rocketeer is a underrated gem that people of all ages would enjoy. Some people may have some issues with uh, the the feel of, of the golden age of Hollywood. People have their own opinions on it, but I definitely feel that to see a young Jennifer Connelly post Labyrinth pre her big breaks in uh, in Hollywood, Alan Arkin with hair on his head is shocking for me. Timothy Dalton playing a Nazi spy is just the weirdest thing I've said in a while. You have to actually see to believe this wonderful, delightful film. And it's definitely a great accompaniment with any of the Captain America, First Avenger inspired movies. And seriously, you should see it. Uh, but Adam, your final thoughts. Like I said before, uh, I this movie really captured my imagination as a kid. Really got me interested in even history as far as World War II and things that were happening and all that. And uh, it still holds up, I mean, incredibly, incredibly well. I think it still has a sense of whimsy, wonder. You know, there's just a magical thing about this movie. Be it the the score or the acting or the costuming or the set design or anything. This is just a really, really fun family movie. 
And, uh, you know, like we brought up Iron Giant, we brought up Captain America. I mean, even like Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow or some of these other movies that are, you know, set in this time period, but a little bit fantasy based, all owe it, in my opinion, to the Rocketeer. I think the Rocketeer was the first one to do it really well and still one of the best. Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that. It's a very fun movie. Um, it is disappointing that it doesn't have as much clout, but at the same time, I, I do agree that like now, with a little more time, I think if you can, you know, give the movie its credit, give it the fact that it was done in 1991 and some of the flying effects aren't the best necessarily, or even that Billy Campbell isn't the A-perfect lead, maybe, there's still so much charm and wit and fun. It's a very well-put-together screenplay. It's got such a great cast all around our lead character that elevates him a bit more. Um, and like we mentioned, the score is magical. The score is genuinely like, it, it, it feels like whenever you were a kid and you thought of the idea of like, what if I could fly? This is the music that would sort of like play in your head during like that dream that you would have had just about the, the, the concept of flight just captures that joy and that awe so perfectly with that score in particular, but even the whole movie does a pretty great damn job of it. And yeah, if you're uh, digging around Disney plus and you've already fucking watched baby Yoda 500 times, uh, maybe we have the Rocketeer spin. You know, give it give it that. Uh, before we uh, get into our next feature, let's go ahead and have a little ad for an ESO show you could listen to right after our show. Check out what's been going on with the Pop Culture Cosmo Show and the PCC Multiverse. The better that these Marvel films do, the higher the standards are going to be for not just other films in general, but other Marvel films also. I think it's really hard to end a show with this many fans in a satisfying way. That's the Pop Culture Cosmos Show. And the PCC Multiverse. Playing worldwide on radio seven days a week. And right here on the ESO Network. Alright, well, let's get into our second feature then. The Country Bears. Barry Barrington was like any other boy. Sometimes I feel... different. Now Barry's about to discover his destiny. The Country Bears! With four guys who are barely a band. I belong here. On Disney DVD and video. One boy is searching for what he's been missing and discovering what he's had all along. Disney's The Country Bears. So, The Country Bears um, is a film based off of a theme park attraction uh, that was initially in Disney World, and which is the Orlando one, and then Disneyland had migrated over. Interestingly, I found out ten months before this movie came out, in Disneyland, they closed down the Country Bear Jamboree. <laughs> so great marketing to close down the fucking attraction <laughs> that your fucking movie's based on months before, while it's still in development. Um, but uh, if you've never gone to either any of the coasts for Disney um, and seen the Country Bear Jamboree, um, it is literally an animatronic show in which you watch a bunch of bears sing country songs. And it's sort of like famous or infamous, rather, maybe in especially my circle of Disney World, since uh, I grew up in Florida, um, as like the place you go to when the ride's lines are too long, but also it's way too hot outside because it's perfect air conditioning. Um, and it's perfectly serviceable. It's just sort of like a animatronic show. Um, but I would never think of it to be the jumping board for a movie. Uh, then again, Disney had a weird history of doing that before Pirates of the Caribbean sort of came out and, like, 
launched a huge franchise uh, because they tried to do... There was the Tower of Terror TV movie starring Steve Gutenberg in the late 90s, uh, and then Mission to Mars, which people forget is based on a theme park attraction because it's also not a lame theme park attraction. But Michael Eisner just had this fetish in like the late 90s, early 2000s, like, let's make a bunch of fucking movies based on these rides. And shortly after this, of course, we would have Pirates of the Caribbean and Haunted Mansion the same year. Um, next year, <laughs> the following. And I've heard that Honda Mansion was the one they were more banking on. Because they were just like, oh, it's Eddie Murphy, it's uh, our most popular attraction, it'll be big. Who cares about fucking 21 Jump Street and the pirate movie? And then what happened, happened. <laughs> yeah, I remember there was like, like, I remember some weird studio notes about Jack Sparrow. Dizzy did not know what the hell they had with uh, pirates, and they still don't. No, they don't. <laughs> Very much so not. Uh, but, before all that, we had the Country Bears, uh, which came out in July of 2002, um, and uh, didn't make any kind of a splash, um, much like the Rocketeer, such an underrated gem um, that <laughs> cost $35 million to make um, and only made 18 And it's basically like, imagine if you combined um, the Blues Brothers and Almost Famous, but made a kid's comedy with a bunch of creepy animatronic bears. Yeah, that's pretty much right. So why the fuck? Did you pick this goddamn thing? Well, I picked it because, like, there's so many obvious ones you could go with in terms of, like, the bad Disney picks. And I was just looking through, like, that huge fucking Twitter thread when Disney Plus put out, like, hey, here's everything that's going to pop up here. And I was like, hmm, I mean, I could go with just, like, the obvious choices, or I could do just something that's completely lost to time and is this weird relic that I'm not sure why the fuck it was ever made. Because admittedly, Adam, as much as, like, it's not necessarily a, a good movie i'd argue it's such a fascinating idea that like this fucking exists like that anyone would have thought this was a good idea so fucking terrible while watching this my wife's in the other room with my kid i i audibly said quite loudly three four times what the fuck were they thinking with this why the fuck would they make this wait a minute these fucking people are singing with these fake bears. Oh God, is that fucking Brian Setzer? Oh no! Like it was, this, this is one of the ones we watched that got the most audible reaction out of me because the whole time I was so confused. I was so confused to where it's like not the story. The story is very stupid and simple, but saw the dailies for this. Like, yeah, we'll go for it. We'll go with it. Get out John on the line. What in the fuck? What? Okay. okay. For, for those who might not have seen this movie, the basic premise is our main character is Barry Barrington. Very creatively named. Wait, wait, wait. Thomas, you have to emphasize that Barry is spelled with bear and Barrington is with B-A-R-R. There's a very distinct difference because they make it a joke three times in the movie anyway so barry barrington who i should mention is voiced by Haley joel osman in one of his last kid era movies before he uh, disappeared for like a decade not surprisingly and yet now he looks almost like barry barrington <laughs> he's turned into this fucking bear 
full circle. Barry is the hugest fan of the Country Bears, who were a band that existed and were like touring around for years, but stopped about like ten years before the movie takes place, and they've all gone their separate ways. But Barry's like, oh man, I really want to see him, so he goes to Country Bear Hall, which he finds out is about to be torn down um, because an evil tycoon played by Christopher Walken. Uh, really wants to tear down the place as we find out there's a secret motivation for why he wants to do this. And so Barry's like, hmm, we need to save this place. How about we get a big benefit concert where we reunite the country bears? And so he goes with, like, the guy who owns the bear hall and the weird bus driver played by MC Ganey for some reason. Um, And they go on this road trip to find all the different country bears people and unite them to go ahead and perform at the country bear hall and save country bear hall. Um, And along the way, you also get a bunch of random cameos some of which are from people you know, and some of which are from people no one remembers. See, now... Uh, wait. Uh, <laughs> who? Why? Well, you ask a specific why. Which will start like, yeah. with your list of questions. Yeah, 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 yeah. Let, me, let me start. Why? <laughs> why? What? Who the fuck? Who? Who? Why? <laughs> Christopher Walken, did you need the money? Who was the chick who was like, you play a harmonica, you should jam with us. Who the fuck is that chick? Why did they give her? Uh, I remember her, actually. That's how sad. Because I am, I am a, I'm an early 2000s teen. Okay. She, she sings theme song to The Princess Diaries. Right, the I'm a Supergirl song. That's where I was like, I, I recognized oh. the singing voice, and then I heard, then I looked back at her filmography. It's like, oh, she did this, that main song for Princess Diaries, this, and then left Hollywood. So no one knows who the fuck she is. I believe her name was Crystal, was the name of her stage persona. Oh. I think it was Crystal so Harris, was, to be exact. Uh, That's her. This was her big break. Good for her. <laughs> well, it's like, there's her and also Jennifer Page, who I vaguely remember also being one of these like Disney stars. That's the thing is half the cameos are either people who are obviously recognizable, and the other ones are all these Disney people that they try and promote out there, like Jennifer Page, who plays a waitress at one point and breaks the reality of the movie, where she sings a particular country bears song, and the entire restaurant is in on the musical number. But it's a weird thing where like not all the musical numbers are like that because some of them are like are like that like even the crystal song does that weird thing where like they're shooting a music video and she's like oh hey play your harmonic and then everyone instantly is like yeah let's get into this let's jam like that happens half the time and the other half of the time it's people on stage singing i'd have to say like now looking at jennifer page she pretty much just only does background dancing and vocals for like shows like smash and it's sad that she went that path because she's at least more noticeable and Kind of more memorable than Crystal. It's like Crystal just had the the generic pop star look and whatever. But I, I at least remembered that sequence with the diner. I don't know. Everyone was just dancing and grooving. And, like, and everyone just goes back to normal. Like, wow, that was a very nice song. Right? And I wonder why her career fizzled out. Because it be because she started it with the fucking country bears. <laughs> well, and, and it's also like, because in theory, like, that sort of loose reality isn't necessarily a problem. Like, I mentioned the Blues Brothers is clear an inspiration for this movie. But the problem is that in the Blues Brothers, they usually give that kind of thing to like, oh, hey, here's Ray Charles doing a song or Aretha Franklin or like someone you give a shit about. <laughs> As opposed to like most of the singers who are in this movie don't actually sing. Like Elton John, like, well, the only one I think who does a musical number is Brian Setzer with that weird fiddle duel that happens where his singing partner is Stephen Root. 
as the voice of the fucking bear. Um, as opposed, to, meanwhile, like in my old Queen Latifah is just at the bar, like yeah, keep singing. It's like you, you don't want to go up there, and, and Elton, you don't want to sing. No, I really don't want to sing. <laughs> I really don't. You know what? Uh, for that scene in the bar, I noticed in the background, it's not like a real bar. It's just a bar that sells honey. People are just drinking mugs of honey. Okay, we also need to, like, really dig into the weird sort of world this is where, like, some people get that bears are, like, actual citizens and others don't. Like, Barry's, quite frankly, incredibly racist brother, who's just like, Wait, he's my a fucking brother. bear! Uh, it, it really feels like it's, it's no. it was some bunch of rewrites on this script. Like, Wait there, a second, though. There was, like, a story of, like, an adopted bear child, and then they just smushed it in with the country bears. He's like, oh, bear protagonist? Bear band. Is he racist? Or is he, he just the smartest person in the movie? He's like, hey, morons, it's a fucking bear. See, I would believe that if Barry was the only domesticated bear. But when you have, like, the country bears are, like, a fucking, at least somewhat nationally known band that existed at some point in the past. And people are like, oh, yeah, I remember listening to your stuff. I love the country bears. Even, like, at the car wash, you see, like, a bear is working at the car wash and everything. Like, oh, true here recognizes like oh no bears are like actual citizens we don't really have any worry about them it's almost a weird sense of tolerance and then this fucking kid just up like he's a bear and it's like dude he's your adopted brother just stop being a dick <laughs> i think it also doesn't help the parents are being all like oh you're not adopted you're just like oh it's like your dad could be hairy sometimes like i mean steven tobolowski a guy with a lot of hair you're right <laughs> yeah 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 it's a bad example mom i i forgot uh who played the mom, but she was also a very familiar actress. Like everyone was familiar. Like, like I, I, I watched galaxy quest like two weeks ago and seeing, uh, Darrell Mitchell come back. Like, wow. With Dietrich Bader, that is the point where I'm like, these guys are great comedic actors, but they're just stuck doing silly slapstick in a car wash. And I'm like, I could be watching a Drew Carey show. I mean, Dietrich Bader is always like quite fun. Um, even in this movie, I would say he has like a few bits that work. Isn't he the voice of the other bear, too? Yes, he's the voice of the the, the wedding singer bear, yes. He's the voice of that one. Just like, like small asides with the two of them, I think, are fun. But yeah, the, there's this weird sequence where, like, MC Ganey pulls the bus into a car wash. And he's like, oh, I do this all the time. And it's like, apparently all the time you do this, people get out of their cars in the car wash for some reason. <laughs> Is this, like, a thing that always happens? Maybe not where you're from. <laughs> That's true. I've never evaded the police before. I don't know that technique. <laughs> you need to learn you some stuff. No, d- <laughs> dude, just this fucking movie. All right. Uh, oh, God, Chris. Can you articulate yourself at all? No, this because this is just garbage. This is pure mind-numbing bullshit. Chris, Chris Rockin's big gag is that he's a fucking arm-farting champion. And he's mad at them because the Bears won the fucking talent show over him. What the fuck? I'll, I'll make the, the my stand on this rock and say that Christopher Walken is like the one good thing about this movie. <laughs> I, I think he is the embracing the, <laughs> the I, he is embracing the stupidness of this and also just like doing whatever the fuck he wants. I disagree. With you. I, I really do. I think Christopher Walken is the only one who's even competent in it, so he stands out. 
I, I think he's slumming and phoning it in, man. I could argue that early on when he's appearing. He's just like, oh, I'm going to tear down this place. But then there's this whole sequence where it's clearly just like, hey, Christopher, do whatever the fuck you want in your office. And he keeps crushing different versions of this fucking miniature set of the country barrel. <laughs> and he just keeps fucking doing it. Shit like that. And he's like walking around in his fucking slippers. Or when he's really just extolling his revenge speech against the bears like oh you bears you did this to me but i get my revenge and that day is tonight like all this shit just like that's at least so much more investment than anyone else has in the movie i would say some of the voice actors like uh kevin michael richardson toby huss they were trying with what they got but i feel like he didn't feel like he was fully into it. He, he, he wasn't trying to be a bombastic weird walking. I think he was just doing whatever because he had the day. Because it really felt like they just shot all of his stuff in one day. But he's just there for like four scenes. No, he's also not in the movie very long at all. No, that's a big problem. <laughs> is that he just kind of weaves in and out of it. And I also, I think part of that is just because like this is, when, when I would argue this is early on in sort of the walking as a crazy joke man act right because like that didn't really start until what the fat boy slim video right that was like the first time yeah he kind of embraced the weirdness well uh maybe wayne's world too maybe yeah but then again he didn't really keep that quite as consistent throughout the 90s after that with the dawn of the new millennium he fully embraced like i'm a fucking weird clown character man (laughs) (laughs) yeah because there was like blast from the past this you know the fat boy slim video yeah, so you, you're probably right. I, I mean, God, fucking who can forget his turn in Joe Dirt? Um. <laughs> then there's also just the weird factor of, like, we, we mentioned that, like, these bears exist. And if you've seen the original country bear, like Jamboree, all the bears have sort of, like, that 50s, 60s era Disney animation design to them, which makes them still a bit creepy, but at the same time they feel a bit more kind of charming and cartoonish in that way. Um, as opposed to here, the Jim Henson Company decided to make these bear suits... Um, far more realistic in a way that's very unsettling. Like, anytime any of these bears move their mouths and the lip sync's actually not terrible, it still just looks really creepy, because it's just like, they look like monstrous bears are about to eat people. <laughs> these bears needed some eyelids. Because even when the uh, they were uh, moving their mouth, it, the, their eyes were unmoving. It was really weird having two bears conversing with each other and they're not even really looking at each other. It is so bizarre, but maybe they were going for the feel because they're based on animatronics. So they're like, okay, we don't have to go full on and actually have them fully moving. Like say like, unfortunately, like the Ninja Turtles, like it's unfortunate because I feel like they could have made a story about maybe a human child who loved the the country bears and they could have done something with with the costumes to make them not look horrifying and we could have had a maybe a decent disney channel original movie rather than a theatrical disney film that's the big thing i really felt with this though is it feels like a disney channel original movie with way too big of a budget and this should have aired like on a fucking saturday night on disney or just never aired and not exist (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, we can go that route, too. If we're dreaming, why not just fucking aim big? Look, we live in the world where this is happening, Adam. We have to have a Country Bears movie, and they elected to do this, whatever this fucking is. We, they elected to have these very scary, realistic bears have cartoony voices, and then when they actually sing, they have fucking Don Henley and Bonnie Riots. 
the fucking voices, oh, which oh, I love oh. how bad the transitions are between the singing voices and the announcing voices. Oh. And that awful joke, too, where Don Henley and Bonnie Raitt are in the fucking crowd, and they're just like, oh, they're pretty good. Yeah, they're better than the Eagles. Get it? Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Oh, for fuck's sake. Like, like literally, I've never been, like, mad at you before. <laughs> <laughs> This this one kind of got me there. Where I'm like, Man, fuck this guy. <laughs> this is some bullshit. I took it personal. Would you have been um, more angry if we went for the Haunted Mansion? No. Because at least Eddie Murphy's in it, and I like Eddie Murphy. I don't know. That, that's like a low, that's that's really sad, Eddie Murphy, though. That's really... It is. No, it is. No, I prefer to watch, watch the Country Bears over the, the Haunted Mansion. The thing is, Country Bears doesn't feel as much like you're wasting such a perfectly good idea. Because the thing is, the Haunted Mansion would make a great fucking like Disney PG horror movie sort of thing. And they just waste so much potential on a really bad Eddie Murphy family comedy from the early 2000s. Versus Country Bears fails at every single level. But I just find it so fascinating as a weird cultural artifact. Because this is around the time where like Disney is like kind of welling out on the Disney renaissance of animation and a lot of their live-action stuff is sort of, like, very boilerplate stupid stuff that isn't making a lot of money. It's the waning days of Michael Eisner, and it feels so much like a Michael Eisner-era product in terms of just how many, like, bad pop culture references and favors coming in from his famous friends who do weird cameos and all this other shit. I don't find it to be a good movie or even, like, this definitely isn't, like, somewhere around so bad it's good material. But I just find it fascinating as something that especially Disney isn't keeping in the vault. That they're just like, no, here, Disney Plus. Fucking Country Bears. And in that way, I find it fascinating, if not at all good. Say, <laughs> feel good now? You feel better? <laughs> you said that shit? Was this all worth it, then? Yeah. Because I had fun with your complete lack of being able to say anything. And at least we had a guest here, like Jonathan. So, Jonathan, your final thoughts on the country bears? Sure. If you want to watch or participate in an activity involving Haley Joel Osment visiting and interacting with Disney properties, and you want him in that young, uh, burgeoning out of the child actor phase, go play Kingdom Hearts. It's sad that they wasted somewhat okay potential and they just squandered it with weird choices. Honestly, it's not the worst thing that you can watch, but it's pretty bad. (laughs) And Adam, if you can articulate a final thought. This is the celluloid version of Smagma. This movie is that white shit that builds up in the corners of your mouth on film. It is the worst fucking shit. To me... You know, you guys are being way too good on this. This is fucking garbage. This is a hot garbage fire. This is a hot garbage fire where the garbage is dirty diapers filled with raccoon guts. This is just pure, pure shit. And Thomas, fuck you. <laughs> I mean, you watch like Dracula 3D and some of this other shit, but no, this is this is the lowest of the low. Dracula 3D at least had nudity. It had something. Dracula 3D was at least confusing to the point where like, I know Dracula. So, uh, this is just weird to me because it's Argento. Country Bears, I had no basis for what the fuck this is. It's like, this is this is like the Berenstain Bears, but it's the, the, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre family at the same time. Like, what the fuck is this? They're, they're not the Mormon or whatever the hell the Berenstain Bears are. They're like the fucking Church of Satan. 
Barrett said, this is just garbage. This is, what the fuck? Why is this? This, like, literally, I'm going to church Sunday because of this. Yeah. Well, I put the fear of God into Adam. That, that's great to know. And to be fair, like, it's basically the same reason why I picked this, just because, like, it's an ungodly thing that I can't believe is in our presence at all. That I can't believe just, like, was somehow made. The only reason you wouldn't even know about the Country Bears if you've been to one of the two theme parks. Oh, I'm sorry. That's not even true. If you've been to one of the theme parks at one point or the other one for a span of three months before they closed it down and then nine months later you got this shithole of a film. That's the only basis you have to understand why this movie would exist. Uh, well, Adam, I believe it's, it's also open in Tokyo Disneyland as well. Probably in fucking Euro Disneyland too. And, uh, we know how well that fucking did. I blame the country bears for that. Well, you know what? Let, let's 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 move on because Adam is like clearly having a mental breakdown about the goddamn Country Bears movie. Um, so let's go ahead and get into um, our feedback section because we asked all of you out there every Monday we put out feelers for like what are your least and most favorite um, movies uh, related to whatever topic that we're doing. And so uh, in honor of that, we asked you about Disney Plus and uh, James Rodriguez says uh, due to the UK not getting this until the end of March, I'll have to rely on articles detailing what's on there. So everybody uh, should seek out the exception series that is Gravity Falls, the heart-stopping documentary that is Free Solo, uh, not related to Han, um, and considering the time of the year, The Muppet Christmas Carol is a must. Underdog, the film where Jason Lee voices the talking dog, is on there. Ew. Yeah, I, did. I forgot that was a Disney movie. <laughs> I completely forgot that it fucking existed. <laughs> I, 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 I could have picked that, Adam. <laughs> oh, thank God you didn't. <laughs> See, now you love the Country Bears. Exactly. No, no. That's the last word for that. Anyway. I, I am still going to church, but to rejoice this time. Because uh, I fucking hate Jason Lee. Uh, but I've never heard of the, any of the other ones he, he actually mentioned. I, I haven't checked any of that. I haven't really gotten a chance to explore Disney Plus as much as I want to. It, it's, you know, it's kind of the go-to. Right. Adam, I would definitely recommend Gravity Falls. You would fucking love it. And I know your kid loves The Simpsons. And it's totally in that same, like, inspirational fold. I had to double that. It's only two seasons as well, and just the basic premise is it's these two twins go off to their shyster uncle's, like, scam of a place in the middle of, like, the Northwest. It has, like, all these bad trinkets. And um, while they're there, they discover this book that actually unfolds, like, weird cosmic creatures that come out of the hither and, you know, all over the place. Um, It's a really funny show. It's a really, like interesting show that builds up a good lore um and it has so many just like great characters and so many great voice actors in there as well one of my favorite shows like the last decade in all honesty i love Leonardo falls oh i, cool. I definitely sure. have to double on that and free solo it won the last uh, academy award for best documentary and i saw in theaters it is a harrowing tale because those cameramen were there hanging off that cliff edge with the climber and he ha- the whole idea of free solo means that you're not wearing any harnesses or hooks. You're 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 doing a free climb, and it is one of the scariest things I watched last year. Definitely recommend for me. And uh... but yeah, I second free solo because I saw that in IMAX, and it's one of the few times I've genuinely gotten nauseous in the theater because <laughs> it's just like there's so many shots of that dude like climbing, especially these like little cracks and crevices. Where it's just like, oh, hey, yeah, you know, I'm just going to climb up this way. Like, he's so casual and calm. Just like, yeah, I'm going to climb up here. Um, if I don't step in this particular angle, I'll die. Uh, but, you know, I just have fun doing it. <laughs> it's the fucking whole documentary. And it's so mind-blowing that he does it. But it is 
so gorgeous as well. Even on a small TV, I'm sure it would look just fucking harrowing. Um, and then Amanda Leonard uh, adds that where she says, uh, best part, late 80s slash 90s uh, through the 90s cartoons. Looking forward to what they might be adding from the early 2000s. Um, admittedly, like, I, I haven't gotten a chance to go dig into those as much, uh, but I've definitely wanted to, especially with, uh, Darkwing Duck and Gargoyles, particularly Gargoyles. Yeah. For sure. You know, I also want to probably check back Aladdin the series, but maybe first see Return of Jafar, watch a couple episodes, and then watch King of Thieves, because I'm an Aladdin fiend. Like, I held back watching the live-action movie for so long because I did not like how Will Smith looked. And honestly, there's a lot of good Disney afternoon uh, uh, cartoons that I haven't seen in a decade, at least. Recess. Remember that just now? Yeah, Recess. That's that's one from like sort of the late 90s I, I remember really liking. I, I really love how it's all set up when you go to search. There is a section just Disney by the decades. So it's much easier than with Netflix where you can't even figure out how they categorize anything. Like just going through an entire row from like – the films and shows from 1990 to 1999 and you can just get sucked in easily um but have you watched any of the the shows of your childhood yet adam uh pre-disney plus but i did rewatch the x-men cartoon uh and i quite enjoyed revisiting that i forget what i watched on it was either i think it was hulu at it uh which obviously disney owns but that was a really fun re- revisit. Uh, I do plan to revisit Gargoyle, so I'm, I'm actually super pumped for that one. Uh, I don't want the movie that everyone's talking about, unless it's an animated movie, then I'm down. But if they try to go live action with it, then I, don't, I, have, I got nothing for you. Yeah, because how are you going to get back all those great Star Trek The Next Generation actors who you made half of your fucking cast? Mm-hmm. Or Keith David. Keith David now as Goliath at his age? Not going to work. What if they CGI like it's just this motion capture on his face, but like a completely CG rig? So it's like Michael Jai White's body with Keith David's face. Yes, that could work. <laughs> or just Michael Jai White. Period. Why the hell not? I, I, like I said, I, I really, really dug that show, and I think that's a fun one to sort of start tipping the scales towards maybe introducing the kid to horror. Because there's a lot of supernatural, they are gargoyles, they're scary. Uh, I think that's a good, good sort of starting point to maybe don't be scared. You know, this is just fun. Yeah, especially if it's sort of like because that gargoyles is basically kind of like horror in the way of like Nightbreed is horror. It's like all oh, their spooky monsters, but no, actually they have like a community and they're friends with each other, and it's, it's interesting. Yeah, but Night, Nightbreed has Cronenberg as a serial killer. Right, that, that's why. So you you do gargoyles first, and then when she's five, Nightbreed. It's perfect. Nightbreed. Yeah, yeah, very good, very good. You're absolutely right. <laughs> you gotta get the kids young to, to love like, the monsters. <laughs> screw a therapist. I'm coming to you for parenting advice. I mean, as some <laughs> as a late twenties person who does not have kids at all, I'm the perfect choice. <laughs> uh, clearly, Dave West also uh, had some feedback that was in reference to our previous mysteries episode where he says, uh, a movie I love and a movie I loathe. I'm excited to listen to this episode. He didn't specify which, but I'm sure he loves Holmes and Watson, and uh, he's not a fan of Death Trap for some reason, so it's, uh, it'll be a fun episode for you. Enjoy that. If that is, if that truly is the case, buddy. <laughs> like, that, know, that is, I, don't, I don't believe that is the case. Um, also, we could have watched fucking Holmes and Watson again. <laughs> oh. 
I'd rather watch Holmes and Watson again. I'm thankful for you guys to actually review Holmes and Watson because I was curious enough to hear how bad it was. You took one for the team, and I appreciate your service. Don't watch it, Jonathan. Don't, don't. Just don't do it, buddy. I gave him Wolf. You didn't hate the country bears that much. So maybe Holmes and Watson's going to be your fucking annual. Wow, I didn't hate as much. I didn't hate as much a bad movie. Wow. That, 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 that means I just love the worst movie of 2018. That's the credit you give me. Thanks a lot. The Thank country God. bears is untethering our entire show. This is so fascinating. I didn't know it had this power. You're giving it that power. It doesn't deserve it. It's like in the mouth of madness. <laughs> because I believe in it. It's Ken has the power. <laughs> uh, we also have some feedback from Brian Kane in reference to our poll, um, which, as you're listening to this, should still be up about um, the 2019 wrap-up episode, where you guys have the chance to pick um, our good feature for that particular episode. They'll come out in two weeks. Um, and uh, Brian Kane says, "I want to hear you talk Shazam, but I feel there's more to unpack in The Irishman." Um, I would honestly agree with that. Um, if you're listening to this on the day it comes out, you would have about 24 hours left to actually vote. I apologize. I said on the last episode that you had until December 13th, but it's actually December 11th. So the day after this comes out, you still have time to vote. And I will say, compared to the last time we did voting, it's a lot closer than I would have anticipated. Yeah, I actually voted both on Facebook and Twitter. I feel as if Shazam did not get its uh, due especially in its theater run. And I feel like it does need that recognition because it's my third favorite of the DC Universe movies. Uh, I feel like too many hot takes on The Irishman has kind of killed my interest in hearing people talk about The Irishman because it's a good movie that personally I feel like probably could have pared down a couple of scenes, but it's a great actor's movie to say the least. I'm stoked for either. I haven't watched The Irishman yet, but I love Shazam. So either way, like we said last time, we win. Right, uh, right. This is not one like the last time where I really didn't want Replicas to win, yet it and, did. And it won by like a landslide. It like was like a so... fucking mile. Like people <laughs> were like, no, Replicas, <laughs> but Yeah, so you still have time to vote. And you know what? A, a point in Shazam's favor, that episode will come out on uh, Christmas Eve, and it's a pretty good Christmas movie. No, I never even thought of that. But yes, it is. Absolutely. But uh, we also want to thank some people before we get out of here. We want to thank Chris Oliver for the intro and outro music used in our show. Listen to more of his music at chrisoliver.bandcamp.com. Thanks to Emily Scarter for the art for our show. And of course, thanks to Mr. Jonathan Habden-McHale. Jonathan, uh, we missed you. And uh, why don't you go ahead and plug yourself a bit? All right. You can catch me on Facebook, Jonathan Habden-McHale. Jonathan with a Y, H-A-B. As in Boyd, T S and Tower, E as in Edward, the rest of it Michael. Or you can catch me on uh, Twitter at black underscore gendo. Gendo is G-E-N-D-O. You can catch me retweeting political stuff or anime nonsense or some movie commentary. We also uh, want to encourage you to follow us on Twitter and Facebook at DEDBpod. That's where we put up the feeler like we mentioned about uh, whatever topics that we're doing. You can also email us feedback at uh, doubleedgedoublebill at gmail.com, all spelled out. Or you can follow me on my own Twitter account at NotTheWho'sTommy, um, where I post my musings and such. And I also do some writing for um, TrueSuperheroFans.com. Whenever we do get the site back up, we're still in it under construction to get it back from uh, after it was hacked earlier in the year, um, so we're still kind of working on that slowly. Um, and I also do reviews at marianithomas.wordpress.com, that's my blog, where um, I'll 
probably at the time of this uh, recording, uh, when it's put out, I'll have a review about a person who was a Disney star who ended up making a movie about their dark childhood where they worked with Disney at around a certain time. Shia LaBeouf's Honey Boy, which I'm very, very curious to see. I saw it last night of of this recording, and I have feelings, to say the least. And uh, you can also find Adam uh, doing a bit of art, especially in time for the season. Yes, I... uh... Facebook.com slash ghoulish Gourds. I usually specialize in doing foam or plastic pumpkins uh, for the Halloween season because it is my favorite season of the year. But I also am going to be doing Christmas bulbs this year. I have a couple done now. I just have not uploaded pictures yet, but I will upload pictures. And uh, the thing is, it doesn't have to be Christmas time for you to buy Christmas bulbs or Halloween time for you to buy Halloween pumpkins. Anytime you want them, I can make them, paint them, every one is one of a kind they're all custom it's all what you want i can do and if you mention you heard it on the show i will cut you a huge bargain i mean i gotta commission you a country bears ornament i'm yeah. gonna make it throw it right into the fucking fire oh man. <laughs> but seriously i i'm definitely gonna hit you up man because uh, i need some new yeah. christmas and halloween decorations oh dude anything you need i'm gonna charge you an arm and leg though because you like country bears <laughs> no, hey, hey, he loved it unreservedly without any sort of issues about it. He is the hugest Country Bears fan possible. <laughs> At Black underscore Gendo Country Bear fan. That's your new fucking Twitter handle. At Barry Barrington and everything you put. Oh, man, I'm not going to go that far. No, actually, you know what? No, I'm going to change it to my name to Barry Barrington just for you. Do I'll it. do it right now. I'm doing I'm working on it. going. Follow me on Twitter so you can actually see that I changed my name. You know what the funny thing is? I don't have Twitter, so I'm never going to see it. This is all for your pay, not mine. (laughs) For for more great content like this, and until Country Bears completely tears us apart, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, YouTube, Spotify, Stitcher, and other podcasting platforms. And if you're listening on ESO, uh, why not dig into the archives uh, for the first several episodes that we did? And um, if you do really like the show and you want to get the word out there, please make sure to rate review or at least share us around from those platforms because that gives us more visibility yeah i mean we're fucking 87 episodes in good god it's 84 but <laughs> it feels like 87 it feels like 187 i mean the half we did of country bears counts as three episodes to adam basically yeah that really does <laughs> <laughs> but before this goes into the length of three episodes uh, we have to finish up and do our picking for next week um, but we're doing something very different. I know, Jonathan, you listen to the show, so you better sit down, because we're going to tell you some okay. very interesting things. So, you know how we usually uh, do some picking at the end of our episodes for one good movie and one bad movie, based on choices that either Adam or I have, depending on you know who has the quality for whatever week, right? You know that. You know the basis yeah, yeah. of the show. Well, um, one, we're not doing a movie next week. We're not doing a movie-related topic, um, because uh, a week... From today is the anniversary of a very important show to Adam and I. Um, so we're breaking the rules and doing a TV show, which we've never done before. And specifically, we are going to, in honor of its 30th anniversary, of it still being on the air, we are doing a whole episode about The Simpsons. All right. Yes. So we're breaking all sorts of rules, including uh, Adam and I usually switch up on a good and bad quality for whatever episode we're doing. Um, but in this case, each of us have both two good and two bad picks, because, you know, 30-minute episodes of an animated sitcom, uh, we figured that uh, we could cover four solid episodes of The Simpsons in one hour-and-a-half block, um, so it should be 
pretty interesting to do. So uh, Adam has two good episodes, two bad episodes. I have two good and two bad episodes. And we've assigned numbers between 1 and 10 for each of those. And so, Jonathan, you have to pick four numbers if you can. Oh, boy. Okay. All right. So for the good episodes, I'm going to say for Thomas, number two, and Adam, number nine. Okay. At number one, I have one that I think goes a bit underrated in terms of the whole Simpsons uh, canon, but I think is it's a very sweet and funny episode. It's my personal favorite episode. It's Marge Be Not Proud from season seven. Is that the one with, uh, with the video game? Yeah, the video game that Bart Shop Oh, uh, that's a great episode. I actually just watched that one recently. I love that episode. Yeah, that's a good one, man. Yeah, Good mm-hmm. call on that one. And then at number nine, I had Deep Space Homer from season five, which is obviously a classic one. Oh, it's a great oh. one, too. Oh, my God. That's such a good one. Freedom. Okay. Freedom. Horrible, horrible freedom. <laughs> I, for one, welcome our ant overlords. Uh, which one's the queen? I'm the queen. No, you're not. <laughs> <laughs> number 10, I had Team Homer, which is season seven, episode 12. It's the Pin Pals episode, the bowling episode. Oh, yes. Uh, Yes. That one makes me laugh so hard, uh, just because of Monty Burns, because uh, he's m- probably my favorite character in this in the series as well. But at number one, I had Homer at Bat, season three, episode seventeen, the softball episode. Oh boy! And that's that, the first one where they had a bunch of celebrities on, because it's like every major baseball player at the time. It's such a classic, though. Now there's plenty of bad episodes. There's plenty of bad ones, Jonathan. So all right. I'm going to switch high and low. Thomas gets number seven, and Adam gets number four. For me, at number six, um, I had one uh, that's, I believe, I I can't remember which season 20-ish it is, um, but I had one called uh, Mo Goes from Rags to Riches, in which Jeremy Irons plays a sentient rag. That's a real episode. (laughs) Wait, what? Come on, man. Sounds like one of the rejected anthology segments. Spoilers, that's basically what it is. It's a really bad anthology episode. And if you look at, like, the worst Simpsons episodes of all time, that's always on there. You motherfucker. (laughs) It's pretty bad. Um, But then at number three, I had another one that was sort of like a typical choice for that, um, which was uh, Lisa Goes Gaga. The one where Lady Gaga showed up, and it's really terrible, too. Yeah, that's a really bad one. I didn't see it because that was the time when I was a college student being like, no, I don't want to watch The Simpsons. They're not cool anymore. But And you were right. But, but Adam, yes, uh, what would you be end up getting from you? You got for me Simpsons Bible Stories, which is season 10, episode 18. It feels like a very fucking just kind of forced spoof episode. No rhyme, no reason. Why not just do it? It's a one-off, and I think it's very uh, poorly written. And I also find it, if you are someone who is Christian or Catholic, offensive. All right, and what was your alternate choice? The Simpsons spinoff showcase. What? What? Yes, and the reason because is it, it all of it felt too chopped. I like every segment, but it just felt... Stop it, stop it, stop it. I could have done three episodes with each of those things. I think there was good enough ideas that they should have been full 20-minute episodes. I don't know if you could really do like a full thing about any of those individual segments, but that's a fun episode, especially you going really early. There's like a solid 20 years of other bullshit you could have got with. I'm old school, baby. <laughs> oh, yes. So that's not truly bad, Simpsons. Like, 
Like there, like so there's so much worse that you can go by. Like any of the later Trias of Horror episodes, bar none, easily. You know, though, but Country Bears isn't that bad, right, Jonathan? I already changed my my name to Barry Barrington for you, Adam. Oh my God, that's the greatest thing ever. And that, for now on, anytime you're a guest on here, I'm only going to address you as Barry Barrington. You'll always be Barry Barrington to me, buddy. Uh, well, uh, we'll get to all of the Simpsons stuff. Which usually, it's two weeks in a row of stuff on Disney Plus because the whole catalog's there of Simpsons yep. episodes. So yeah, uh, so uh, fire up your Disney Pluses, and uh, we'll get right back to that. But until then, uh, it's time for us to. You know, just sing an entire Country Bear Jamboree for Adam Yonathan. Let's get out our fiddles and let's do the entire concert. All right. And a one and a two. Oh, um, Yonathan, I'm sorry. I think Adam just, like, left the show. So, Aww. uh, you had some time to be a co-host on an episode of the show from now on. I like The Simpsons. I'll join next week. I'm sure you will. Good night. Yonathan, not guaranteed for next week. has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping through Amazon.com or the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.